Tonight's text is going to come from 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at just a couple of verses, verses 9 through 12. Verses 9 through 12, and they'll be on the screen and on your screen at home as well. Please hear the word of the Lord. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Corin Ward was a struggling actress living in Vienna in 1930. And one day she received communication from a lawyer that she needed to attend a meeting at a certain time and location. So Corin follows this letter. She goes and meets this attorney and the attorney shares with her that there is a man named Dr. M. Dr. M that left a portion of his estate to her. Well, she's in this meeting and she's like, well, I don't know this Dr. M. I've never heard of him. Uh, I I don't think I've ever met him. And the attorney knew exactly how she would respond. Dr. M was not this man's real name. He didn't want to share his real name with Corin. In fact, this man had so much fear from telling Corin about his love for her, that he never told her his feelings. He never pursued her. He never met her. So he went to the grave, never having married anyone else, and instead left Corin his entire estate. His estate, if you put that in today's dollars, is about three quarters of a million dollars. So from one meeting, she went from struggling actress to uh, extremely wealthy, And what this story does for us is it highlights beauty and tragedy. See, what it it encourages us to do that, uh, Dr. M really loved Corin, but he was never able to express his love to her. And as a result, she was never able to understand this type of love from anyone else. And the story also teaches us that love calls for a response. Love calls for A response, and the tragedy of this story is that Dr. M loved Corn, but he could never express that love to her while he was alive. You see, when we love something, it's natural to express love. When we love someone, it's natural to express love. And this is why in our relationship with God, um, out of our overflowing love for God, we bear certain universal characteristics. Christians from all over the world, from all the time, who have understood the love of God, their words and actions have certain characteristics. And this, this is what Peter is teaching in our text this morning. And the question is then, 
What are these universal characteristics? What characterizes Christian community? We'll answer that in two ways. One is that we proclaim Jesus with words. And secondly, we proclaim Jesus with actions. So we proclaim Jesus with words and actions. We see that we're to proclaim Jesus with our words in verses nine and 10, okay? In this section, Peter lists off several adjectives describing God's church, and he's describing who we are collectively. Last week, we learned that we are being built as individuals into this spiritual house, and in this week, Peter moves into uh, what our collective function looks like in this house. If you look at verse nine, Peter calls the church a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and then he calls us a people for his own possession. Now, when you take all of these beautiful phrases together, what Peter is doing is showing what characterizes a Christian's relationship to God, to each other, and to the world. So what Peter is doing here with these four phrases is he's helping this church think back to two Old Testament stories, primarily Exodus 19, where God has uh, saved Israel out of slavery in Egypt. He has brought them to the foot of Mount Sinai, and he is telling them in this passage that he has bore them on eagles' wings, that he has rescued Israel. And then he, uh, Peter helps them to look to Isaiah chapter 43, showing how God freed Israel from Babylonian captivity, and they were to sing his praises there and proclaim his excellencies. These two stories, Peter is helping the church see that these were rescue missions that were foreshadowing the work of Jesus. These were rescue missions foreshadowing the work of Jesus. And when we look at the New Testament, we see Jesus is the ultimate one who would come on, a, on the ultimate rescue mission to save his church, to save his people who are in bondage to sin, who are being ruled and beaten by our own self-destructive tendencies. And Jesus came and laid his life down for us. We experience that freedom through faith. This, asks, this, this causes us to ask a very important question. Why is Peter going to these great historical links to encourage this modern church at that time? How does this, how does this encourage these people? Well, just like us today, Peter knows that his people need to understand their identity. They need to understand their identity collectively as a body of believers and individually as individual Christians. Now, what Peter is doing is he's helping this church see that all of the privileges from Israel in the Old Testament, all of the privileges and the access to God found in the Old Testament applied to Israel is now being applied to the New Testament church in Jesus. This is very important. Peter is saying that in Jesus, all those who have faith in him are a new Israel, a new people, a new people, a new uh, uh, race and, and people group that God has saved and that God has chosen. 
in Jesus. In Jesus, God has rescued us and reconciled us by his life and nothing to do of our own. Notice in verse nine, he calls us a chosen race and not a choice race. If we think somehow that we are a choice race, that means uh, that helps us think that there's something inside of us as to why God saved us, but he doesn't do that. We are a chosen race. God chose to set his love and affection upon us based on nothing that we could ever do despite our sins. This is why we call this grace amazing. This is why we sing amazing grace. This is amazing grace. But this list ends on an even higher note. Peter concludes this this list, and you see this phrase there, a people for his own possession. Now, if you look through various translations, which are all fine, this is a really tricky word to translate from ancient Greek into modern English. This phrase essentially means God's prized possession. God's prized possession possession. The imagery that Peter is wanting the church to have, their identity is one where the same God who spoke all things into existence, the sun, the moon, the stars, the oceans, uh, uh, waterfalls, sunsets, you name every beautiful thing in earth and combine all those things together And Peter is saying that as God's prized possession, he loves us more than all of those other things combined. We need to let that sink in. That needs to reach the depths of our hearts and our bones and our souls. That needs to radically grab us because when you understand that the God of the universe sees you and sees his church as his prized possession in Jesus, that's gonna overflow in you. That's gonna, that's gonna be beautiful truth that you can't help uh, but to share with people. You will not be able to contain sharing with other people how beautiful God is and how excellent and how good he is. William Steiger was doing just this. He was converted later in his life to Christianity, and he was pondering the goodness of God and the mercy that God had had on him in his life. And as he was tracing God's hand of grace in his life, he remembered that there was an elementary school teacher that uh, shared with him literature and poetry and he valued that, that teacher sharing this to him because he later would grow up to become a writer. So he said, because of that goodness, I just want to write to her and I want to thank her. And he did. And inside of this letter, he told her thanks. He included some scripture. And in a couple of days, he got this response. Listen, listen to the teacher's response. She says, my dear Willie, I'm now an old lady in my 80s living alone in a small room, cooking my own meals, lonely and seemingly like the last leaf of fall left behind. You'll be interested to know, Willie, that I've taught school for 50 years and in all that time, yours is the first note of thanks I ever received. It came on a blue, cold morning and your words 
cheered my lonely old heart as nothing has cheered me in many, many years. You see, when, you, when you've tasted God's mercy, when you've, when you've been encountered with the depths of your own sinfulness, and then you get confronted with the goodness of God's grace by sending Jesus to live a sinless life and to die as a sinner for us, for our sins, what happens is you become overwhelmed with amazement. When you ponder the gospel, it causes us to sit back and think, whoa, God would do that for somebody like me? God loves me that much? God would sacrifice his own son. Jesus would leave the comforts of heaven to come and die for someone like me? You see, that produces joy. That's what the Bible calls the joy of salvation. And what that does is it bubbles up into us and it flows out of us like a spring, the Bible says, leading to eternal life where we cannot help but to sing of God's praises to those who are around us. C.S. Lewis says this beautifully. He says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. I'm gonna read that again. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. Now, where do we see this today? Where do we see this happening today? We see this primarily when we come to church. Right, We gather as a body. We gather as a group of people. We hear God's word uh, sang, uh, preached, prayed, read, the whole nine. This entire worship service is all about declaring the praises and the goodness of God. And we come together in this rhythm of working all week. And then on Sunday, we come and we find rest here as a body. Rest doesn't mean just sleeping all day. It means coming and finding the healing balm of the gospel for our weary souls. It means coming here and having your cup filled up with grace so that you can go back into the workplace, to go back into the culture, and then to share that beautiful grace with other people. Because guess what? When we pour out our lives for other people, we need to be filled back up. This is why God brings us together on Sundays to do this. Well, what's the key to doing it effectively? What's the key to taking this out into the world and doing this effectively? Well, when we're not in a pandemic, we open up our homes and we open up our lives to other people. We are vulnerable with people. We share our struggles with other people. This is why we have community groups at this church. Uh, we are not a church that has community groups, but we are a church of community groups. We experience the life and the beauty of Christ, not just on Sunday mornings, but in the homes of believers all throughout our city. And you see, when we live in this type of community, inside of the cities that we live in, and we allow conversations to happen around us, 
It's in those moments where we can share about Christ's excellencies. But balance must be had. Balance must be had and balance is needed. And the good news is the Holy Spirit will provide balance. We don't need to be insufferable and obnoxious with every word and encounter that we have with somebody as somehow that's an opportunity to sneak in a Bible jab. When we're at lunch with somebody and a waiter is pouring water for us, we don't need to say, you know who else poured himself out like a drink offering? Jesus. We don't need to do that. If someone sneezes or mentions coronavirus, we don't need to say, hey, you know what's more contagious? The joy of the Holy Spirit. We don't need to, to think that we need to capitalize on every single conversation as though that is the moment in which that person, God is somehow going to miraculously save. Could he do that? Yes. But what Peter is calling us to do here is we need to seek lives that seeks to befriend other people. We share God's words in relationships, in friendships with people. And God will allow over time, time, opportunity, and ears for people to hear that message. We don't need to force God's hand. God calls us to be faithful where we are, and he will open up those times. And that comes primarily through relationships and friendships. So what characterizes Christian community? We proclaim Jesus with words, and lastly, we proclaim Jesus with actions. And we see this in verses 11 and 12. As Peter is encouraging the church to share the goodness of God, the goodness and the glory of Christ with other people, he moves on to share what should accompany that message. And two things should accompany that message. Abstaining and maintaining, all right? Abstaining and maintaining. What are we to abstain from? He says we're to abstain from passions of the flesh that wage war against our souls. Now, this is powerful language. This is powerful we need to figure out what are the passions of the flesh. Well, Peter here deliberately uses this umbrella term, passions of the flesh. It's an umbrella term. It is a catch-all term that describes any self-destructive behavior. Because guess what? When we're a church that's full of people from all different backgrounds, our struggles will be different from other people. There might be some overlap, but everybody struggles with sin in their own way. There is not one blanket um, approach to sin that, uh, that God has given us. We're all unique. We will all struggle in different ways. And as Christians, when we see lists of things, we some, somehow can figure out, oop, he didn't list mine, so he's not talking about me here. No, he uses a universal phrase that catches all of us. All of our sin from the smallest white lie to the most grievous sin is self-destructive. And he says that we are to stay away from those behaviors. They're at war against us. They will keep us from proclaiming the excellencies of God. This is one reason why we live in community. It's one reason why we live in community. If you're doing life with other Christians, 
If you've created a space around you where other people can be vulnerable, you have the opportunity and the privilege to help other Christians battle against their sins. And we do this by praying with other people. We do this by sharing the excellencies of God. In our community groups, we study God's word together. We are, we are creating a culture that's a safe place for sinners to find hope. This is what James is teaching in James 5. He says to confess our sins to one another so that we find healing, not abuse, but healing. There comes a time in a pastor's life where they come to texts and uh, it hits so hard in uh, someone who preaches inside of their life that they can't help but to share personal experiences. So if you're like me and you're here today, maybe you're watching at home, I'm sure that some of you may have been hurt by others in the church. There may be some of you right now that would never want to come to church or loathe going to church because there's people claiming the name of Christ who may have hurt you. A pastor may have hurt you. A televangelist could have hurt you or your family members. I've experienced this pain. And if you have experienced this pain, I'm so sorry. It hurts. It lingers. And what you want to do when something harms you is you never want to go back to that thing. But true healing comes when you can come back to a certain thing, particularly the church, and find good people who love you in the midst of your healing. I'm here today because of this church. I'm here today because the leadership and the staff of this church loved me as a wounded minister whose one foot was out the door and they loved me with all of my bumps and bruises and welcomed me and created a safe place for me. And I'm here today because of this church not all churches are bad. Not all churches are going to create pain in you. But there are some churches who, like last week, we talked about being a porcupine in a snowstorm. Their, qu their quills are up more than others. Sometimes you will experience pain. But if you can learn anything from me, I said, don't let the pain of a few keep you from the healing of the one that can transform that suffering into joy. Remember Jesus experienced the pain and suffering from people who had their hands raised shouting Hosanna in the highest and those same hands a few days later were cheering as he was nailed to a cross. Jesus experienced one day people singing with their praises Hosanna in the highest and a few days later, they were cursing his name and using that same mouth to spit on him. But if you've been hurt, you can find healing in Jesus. He has healed me of many wounds and he is still in the process of healing me 
through this body of believers. I love this church. I'm thankful for him. And I guarantee you, he can do the same thing with you. So not only do we negatively abstain from sinful behaviors, sinful self-destructive behaviors, but Paul, uh, Peter encourages us to maintain honorable conduct around everyone. So abstaining from those self-destructive behaviors and we maintain honorable conduct around everyone. And what Peter is assuming about the church, about Christians, is that they're living life around other people that might not think and believe and act the same way that they do. You see, as Christians living in society, being a part of the culture, we don't go out and shame society. We don't go out into the culture uh, and try to, to bash other people because they don't believe what we believe. But what we're called to is to be actively engaged in every aspect of our city, in our culture, in society, across the world. And we're to be like a preservative for the culture. Jesus teaches the same thing in Matthew 5, 16. He says to let your light, that's the light of the Holy Spirit through you, shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Now, if you're honest, this is really challenging. This is a very challenging encouragement. It's challenging particularly being a Christian and being alone outside of uh, the safety of being around church community. When you are the only Christian in a world that doesn't think and believe like you, it's really challenging to stand in truth and love for what you believe and why you believe it, particularly in a culture that disagrees with aspects of the Bible. Peter assumes this. He assumes that the church will have friction with the culture, but we know, like we saw last week, that as you stand firm in truth and in love, living honorably among people, that there's nothing in this world that will put you to shame, right? We saw that last week. And even amongst some of the worst, most heinous persecution that Satan could throw at the church, when our walk matches our talk, we are an immovable force. And some of our worst persecutors might just come to faith in Jesus. This reminds me of the story of two Christian women living in Africa in the third century. Their names were Perpetua and Felicity. These are two African women who had converted to Christianity and the government told them to renounce your faith or be locked up. These women gracefully refused to uh, renounce their Christianity, so they were thrown in jail. Perpetua had a young child. Felicity was about eight months pregnant when she was in prison. The guards, it's a long story. I'll save you all the horrible parts. They were tortured. Uh, they were given another chance to renounce their faith over several weeks. They never did. So they brought them to uh, an arena. They brought them to the Colosseum. And Perpetua and Felicity with other Christians during that time were brought out there in front of wild animals and gladiators with swords 
And they were threatened one last time in front of a crowd of thousands cheering on with bloodlust their murder. They were given one more chance to turn away from Jesus. And here's what Perpetua said. She stands tall and she looks at the crowd and says, stand fast in the faith, love each other, and do not let our suffering be a stumbling block for you. Not long after that sentence, these women were gored and they were killed by the sword. But there's light in this story. The people in the Colosseum watching them suffer and watching them die saw their walk and talk match up. And at one moment they were screaming to kill them. The next minute they confessed their life to Jesus. The guards who were torturing them in jail converted to Christianity. One of the gladiators would even turn to Christianity and a small revival would break out based on what God did through these women walking and talking God's excellencies in Christ and their life. You see, when the culture and people around us, when they see that we're not outside holding signs, screaming hellfire and brimstone at people, and instead they see us holding doors and smiling, being polite and rolling people's trash cans, what happens is we slowly start to build meaningful relationships. It's easy to stand on the side of the road and scream at people. You're not intending on building a relationship with anyone. It's much harder to live this out day by day in community, sacrificing your wants and desires for the good of someone else to slowly build a relationship. This is what's characteristic of Christian life. It's sharing the excellencies of Jesus with those all around you in word and deed, because guess what happens when we look and act like loving neighbors? Guess what happens? We slowly get invited into people's lives. People slowly start to open up to us more. And guess what happens when people open up with you? You learn about their hopes and their dreams and their pain and their scars things that they struggle with. And guess who's got the answer to that pain, to that loss, to that hardship? Every single one of you. Every single one of you who have faith in Jesus, have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, and you have the ability to open up God's word with people to pray with people, to share the excellencies of Christ to people who might be hurting. And we live this way, not so that we could take photos and put it on Instagram to get likes and comments. We don't do this for a virtual or self high five. We don't do it for that reason. We do this because we trust that God's spirit is moving in us and that God will use us a part of, in a part of his grand story to bring others to a loving relationship with him. Our motivation for speaking and living this way is to bring Christ glory and fame as the one who came and lived and died for us. 
And this is what Peter means in verse 12 when he says that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And this is another way of saying that the world will see your good deeds and they will confess Christ as Lord when everyone meets Jesus face to face. Now, if you're anything like me, you're probably skeptical. Matt, this sounds really great, but I know my own heart and I struggle with sin. And if you're anything like me, you do. You struggle uh, knowing that your walk and your talk doesn't match up all the time. You struggle knowing that the gospel you proclaim is a lot sweeter than the gospel you walk out in real life. And if you're like me, that's, that's human nature. You're like me. You struggle sometimes with putting your foot in your mouth. You struggle sometimes with being selfish and hard-headed. My wife watching at home is likely shouting amen. But there's good news in that. You see, when you repent, especially in front of people that you've hurt, especially in front of others who might not believe in Jesus, that repentance speaks just as loudly to God's grace as you singing his praises. We worship a God who's big enough to welcome all of our sin and to save it and to pay for it on the cross and to offer us forgive, forgiveness and mercy. You see, if you really believe that you're God's prized possession based solely on the work of Christ and your faith in him, then you don't need to pretend and defend yourself any longer. You don't need to pretend and defend. You see, your repentance speaks just as loud as singing God's praises. Now, I'm not saying pursue sin. I'm not saying go out and put your foot in your mouth so that you can repent in front of people. I'm not saying that at all, but I'm saying when sin happens, when you become selfish again, model repentance. Model repentance. Model what it looks like to confess your sins and to ask forgiveness and mercy and to help to fight against it. You see, sometimes we think that if I mess up, then that's going to somehow keep somebody far from God and church that's believing that God's somehow got a plan B that depends on your performance. God's got a plan A. He will use the good, the bad, and the ugly with you for your good and his glory. This is his story, and we just get to play a part of it. A missionary to China was sharing the story about how she and her classmates were in language school uh, beginning in the stages of actually their first day in class, uh, starting to learn the Chinese language so that they could share the gospel um, in China. And so what happens is the teacher comes in the classroom, the professor shuts the door behind her, and she just walks up and down the aisles for several minutes, doesn't say a word, doesn't do anything strange. She's just walking, looking at the students. And then the teacher walks out, closes the door behind her. And a few minutes later, the professor comes in and she asks the class, she says, did any of you notice anything different or special about me? Everybody just kind of looks around. 
Everybody kind of giggles when they get awkward. That's what we do when we feel awkward. We laugh. We avoid intimacy with humor. And one girl raises her hand, and she's like, well, I did notice you had a very nice-smelling perfume on. And the teacher said, that's exactly it. And she shares this quote. She says, it's gonna be a long time before any of you will be able to speak Chinese well enough to share the gospel with anyone in China. But even before you're able to do that, you can minister the sweet fragrance of Christ to these people by the quality of your lives. The same is true for every single one of us. God has been, and through today, and until Jesus comes back, he is building his church through the words and actions of his fallen and freed people. You don't need to be an overseas missionary. You don't need to be a pastor. You don't need to have special training to be able to live like this. God has called you right where you are, and God has gifted you in a unique way to minister to people who are very similar to you. You were able to reach people that I can't reach and vice versa. That diversity is beautiful. God has designed it to be that way. And as we're living our lives where God has called us and we're day in and day out pursuing Christ, day in and day out battling against these sins as Peter has called us to do, what'll happen is people will be like, hey, I noticed that that meeting the other day, you mentioned this, what's all that about? hey, I see you here early and going home late and then taking shifts for other people. And hey, that person was hurting the other day and I saw you go and give that person a hug. What is all that about? Hey, you said this thing the other day. I've never heard that before. I don't get it. Why do you do that? You see, these are the opportunities that God is giving us to join the work that he's been doing for the last 2,000 years. And when we're in these moments, I pray that we would not be like Dr. M and withhold our love and withhold the beauty of God from people, that we wouldn't hold the treasure of the gospel from other people, but that we would step up even in the middle of our fear, step up even when we don't have the words right before us that God will use our mumbling and bumbling and our faithfulness for his glory. You see, God's not building his church the way that the world would think you need to build something. God's chosen sinners. God's chosen the fallen. God's chosen the method of uh, this sinful Eastern North Carolina person to stand before you and to proclaim his excellencies. And he's promised that he'll do a work. He's promised that his word would not go return void, but it'll accomplish what it pleases. All we have to do is out of our overflow of love for him, speak up for him, proclaim his excellencies, Proclaim Jesus' goodness through our words and through our actions, and we'll be surprised what God can do with that. Let's pray.
Father, would you help us to be a people that recognizes our fear, that we would not run from our fear or try to put on a facade like we're not afraid to share our faith in times. Lord, help us to be honest and say that it's, it's scary. It's, it's, it's scary being vulnerable. It's scary being rejected. But Lord, I pray that you would help us in those moments where you are able to allow us to proclaim your excellencies, the kindness, the humility, and the words to say in that moment. Father, I pray that as we move forward as a church, as we go into the work week, that you would use your word today, preach from a sinner like me to encourage the hearts of everyone here to walk, talk, and smell more like you, Jesus. Be glorified in us. Help us to trust you more and more, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray, amen.